Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? But when forgiveness happens, it's a miracle on the greatest of scales. When when the one who has been shot is able to forgive the one holding the bow. That is profound. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a scene where this group of people bring a paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. And I won't read the whole story to you, but you can look it up if you want, Matthew chapter 9. And as they bring the paralyzed man to Jesus, Jesus looks at them. It says, seeing their faith, he makes a very audacious claim. And looking at the paralyzed man, Jesus says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Which may feel like an odd encounter. They brought this paralyzed person to Jesus, and his instinct is to say, your sins are forgiven. And it caused quite a stir. And then it led Jesus to say this. This is Matthew 9, verse 5. Jesus says, for which is easier to say... Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? That's a great question. (laughs) Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or you who are paralyzed get up and walk? Like, is that a trick question? But for me, if I'm answering that, it seems like the harder thing to say is get up and walk, because, like, there's proof that it's happening. I can say your sins are forgiven, and you wouldn't know if it happened or not. But if I say, paralyzed person, get up and walk, and they don't, and you're like, oh, something went wrong there. <laughs> so it seems like the harder thing to do is to say, get up and walk. And Jesus says then, he continues in verse 6, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Jesus in that moment proved the more visible, maybe the more hard in our sense, the more visible miracle to reveal the actual harder, deeper, more beautiful one, which is the miracle we call forgiveness of sin. Don't you know that Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sin? So now turn your Bibles back a few chapters. That's Matthew 9. Go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 6. This is back to the passage that we've been in all fall. Got a couple more weeks left. Uh, In the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that we just prayed just a few minutes ago, it's a prayer that we pray every week because our desire is to get that prayer deep into our bones. I want that prayer to haunt you in a good way. I want that prayer to come out of you, that that when you're old, you're like, yeah, I remember, we used to pray this prayer every single week. Even if you didn't want to show up, that prayer gets into your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Line by line, week by week, we've been looking to Jesus to teach us how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And we've covered a lot of ground so far, talking about our Father in heaven, talking about hallowing his name, 
talking about God's kingdom, his rule and reign on earth as in, in heaven. We talked about daily bread. Here's the line for this week. It's a pretty weighty one. It's about forgiveness. Matthew 6, verse 9. I'm just going to read the whole thing to give it to you one more time. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then here's the line. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What a prayer. (laughs) What a line. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Can we all agree we don't do debt well? (laughs) Because it requires us to deal with two things that seem really impossible for us to grasp. First of all, our wrongs against God, like the idea of us owing God in some ways, wronging God in some ways, and then the debts or the wrongs or the sins that we experience with other people. Those are two things that we don't deal with well. When you've blown it with God and when someone else has blown it with you. So, today... right after this conversation about daily bread that we had two weeks ago. In the next breath, (laughs) Jesus takes us into our daily need to live in the land of forgiveness. So I don't know how else to tackle this today, but I came up with, I think, the four biggest questions that I have about prayer, or excuse me, that about forgiveness in this prayer, in this passage. Four questions. The questions are, what forgiveness is, what is forgiveness? What forgiveness isn't? Why pairing these two, if you notice he pairs our forgiveness, God's forgiveness toward us with us forgiving other people? Why did he pair those two things together? And then how do I practically step into this kind of a prayer? How do I step into forgiveness more? So, first question, what in the world is forgiveness? For some, it could be a a churchy word. So when we pray this prayer, Jesus says, pray like this, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What do we mean? Here in Matthew 6, Jesus uses this particular word, not to be too nerdy, but it's the Greek word, aphiomi which means in the original language to cease, to stop, and to leave. Like, well, that's kind of broad, to stop, to cease, to leave. Like, what's stopping? What's ceasing? What's leaving? Maybe this broader definition will help you. Uh, forgiveness is the costly act of releasing malice, revenge, and ill will towards the one who has wronged you. Forgiveness is the costly act of releasing malice, revenge, and ill will toward the one who has wronged you. So that's what's stopping. That's what's ceasing. That's what's being released. And then in this verse particularly, Jesus uses accounting language. So he uses the language of debt and debtors. 
So in a sense, forgiveness is the costly act of stopping or ceasing or releasing the debt of wrong that has been done. To cancel the debt, to forgive the debt, to release the debt, to no longer be held by the weight of the wrongdoing toward you. Now, all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, there are a variety of uh, images, metaphors, ideas that the scripture writers use to talk about how God forgives us and what he does. I'll just give you a few. I think I have them up on the screen. Uh, lots of verses here. Psalm 103, 12. Beautiful language, poetic language. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. East from west, that's super far. Psalm 32, 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's a language of covering. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's a cleansing language, a washing language being used. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Blotting. Micah 7, 19, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Stomps on our iniquities. And he'll cast our sins into the depths of the sea. So you can kind of pick up. There's all these ways and images used to talk about what God does to our sin. Uh, language of removal. Language of covering over. Language of washing or cleansing. Blotting out. Treading underfoot. Casting it into the bottom of the sea. East is from West leaving behind the, the wrongs that we have done toward God. This is God and his grace toward us. And it's also what we're called to toward those who wrong us as well. But I can imagine raising the idea, the topic of forgiveness in a room this size. There's a lot of pain in the room. And to speak of forgiveness brings up probably names and faces, stories, experiences, wounds, problems. So I think it's helpful for us to also name what forgiveness isn't. Because I think in time, we can pick up unhealthy ideas of what it means to forgive. So if that's the general idea of what forgiveness is, let me name what forgiveness isn't. I recently heard a Dallas Willard teaching on forgiveness, so I'm just going to rip off completely the three things that he said and just pass it on to you. I found it helpful. Willard says that forgiveness does not mean, number one, that I stop hurting. And oftentimes we equate the two, and we're like, but I still hurt. Like, uh-huh. Does that mean I didn't forgive? Mm -mm. You can forgive, and, and the wounds can still hurt. It can still be tender. To forgive doesn't mean that you stop hurting. We pray in God's good time that his healing may come to tend to those wounds, but just because you hurt doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven. You can forgive and still hurt. Also, number two, he says that forgiveness does not mean that I forget what happened. 
There's a, a common saying that we throw around that for, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Actually, that's not the biblical idea of forgiveness. It's not just forgive and forget. Pretend it never happened. No, actually, don't do that. Actually, as we'll talk about remembering, actually, in a, in a, in a sacred way can be helpful. So to forgive does not mean that you will forget it ever happened. If I can paint it this way, Jesus has forgiven us, but he will always bear the scars. The resurrected Jesus bears the scars of the wounds that he received, and he extends forgiveness to us for our sin. Number three, also forgiveness does not mean that I treat the person exactly as before. And again, we hope for reconciliation, but it doesn't mean that if you forgive someone that necessarily things are just, yeah, just it's right the way it was before the, the wrong happened. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences or new boundaries or that you go back to the way that it used to be. It doesn't excuse a person's behavior. So sometimes the language of forgiveness gets tripped up in those things. They're like, well, I still hurt, and how do I treat this person? Do I forget about it? What do I do? But that's not necessarily forgiveness. So again, I think that's helpful. Thanks, Dallas Willard, for those three things. It's not I stop hurting, it's not I forget what happened, it's not I treat the person exactly as before. Those are different issues. It's forgiveness is the act of releasing malice and revenge and ill will toward the one who has wronged you. To let them off the hook of your wrath. Which brings in the third question, what forgiveness is, what forgiveness isn't, And then you'll notice that Jesus brings these worlds together. Forgive us, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. Why is Jesus putting these two things together? And actually, further on in the passage, Jesus doesn't back away from that idea. If you go on at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, down in verse 14, the very first thing he tacks on after the end of the Lord's Prayer here, Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That starts getting uncomfortable, doesn't it? You're like, what? Say what, Jesus? And it's not just here. Mark eleven twenty five. he says something very similar. Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. Gulp. If you have anything against anyone when you stand praying, forgive, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And you're like, what? Is Jesus saying that our forgiveness from God is dependent on our ability to forgive others? And like if we don't measure up in the forgiveness game, then God's gonna pull the forgiveness rug out from underneath our feet? That's the scariest thing I've ever heard. That God will forgive you in the same measure that you forgive other people. 
forgive or else. Is Jesus threatening us here? Do you feel the tension of those words? I guess I just want to point this out, that as Western American Christians in 2023, we actively separate two things that the kingdom of God puts together. We loved the vertical plane of us and God to be separate from the horizontal plane of us and other people. True? It's like, me and, me and God, we're good. <laughs> He's forgiven me, we're good. Me and you, I don't know about that. Do you remember this and that and this and that? So we pretend as though those are two different things that are separate. When you listen to Jesus, he doesn't separate those things. And he puts together these categories that we think are distinct. All of which I think goes to show that we've shrunken down our vision of forgiveness. It shows that we maybe have misunderstood what it means to live in the kingdom of God. To to live in the land of forgiveness is the invitation from Jesus in its fullest and broadest and richest sense. It's an invitation to see the creative possibility that forgiveness can be. Again, a little... Dallas Willard quote, he says, until we have come to the place where we are forgiving as we have been forgiven, we're missing the point. When we enter into forgiveness, we enter with our whole lives. So for us to receive forgiveness from God and somehow treat that as a different thing as what I live and experience with others, like we're, we're missing the point of forgiveness. The invitation is into the land of forgiveness of God's rich forgiveness of us through the work of Jesus that is meant to flow out then through us to anyone and everyone. John Ortberg explains it this way. He says that these statements of Jesus are not about extrinsic punishment. You all know what extrinsic punishment is, is if you do this, then that. Like if you steal, then you go to jail. Extrinsic punishment. He says, Jesus isn't threatening us. Like, you better, you better start forgiving. If you don't, God's going to, oh, never mind. I'm, I'm pulling my forgiveness back on you. That's not the way he's talking about forgiveness here. It's not an extrinsic punishment. It's an intrinsic, intrinsic consequence. Not do this or else, but if you do this, this is naturally what what happens. Because the invitation is life in the kingdom. This is what life is like in the kingdom of God's love. Living in the kingdom of God is to choose to live in the world of forgiveness. To be at the place where you say, God, I have wronged you. Would you please forgive me for my wrongs and my rebellion and my selfishness is to step in with my whole life into this place where I'm willing to also extend forgiveness and grace to other people too. This world of experiencing God's love goes hand in glove with extending it to other people. To know and experience God's great release 
When, you, when your heart has been captured with the fact that God has covered over our sin, that God has taken our sin and removed it as far as east is from west, when, the, when he tramples underfoot our iniquity, when he washes us clean by the blood of Jesus, this removal of our transgressions, this extending of forgiveness for a debt that we could never, ever afford to pay, it invites us into the place then where we are willing to extend to other people too. After all, isn't that what the parable of the unforgiving servant is all about? Maybe you've heard this before. I'm just going to take the time to read it from Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21. It's this crazy scene. Uh, Jesus is engaging with his disciples. Peter, I love Peter. He's a good, a good guy. Matthew 18, 21, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter's like, I'm going to think of the biggest number I can imagine. <laughs> I'm not going to ask one time, two times. Seven times, Lord? Do you think I could? Is that what I needed to forgive? Seven times? He's like, yeah, seven times being outrageous here. Verse 22, Jesus says to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Which some believe, again, is a, uh, just a, a big number of scope and comparison. I also have heard others talk about that idea 77 times, or 70 times seven. There's a story in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter four, about Cain. Genesis 4.24 says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And in that story, he's talking about the code of reciprocity. That if Cain's offense was sevenfold, then he's going to get 70 times seven or 77-fold. And so Jesus, in some ways, is maybe, I think, grabbing the code of reciprocity, the code of revenge, and flipping it on its head and say, how many do I, times do I forgive? Not, not seven, but 77, 70 times seven. Jesus is making the code of forgiveness. And then he tells the story. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then the punchline, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this comparison of a massive, unpayable, beyond belief debt that gets forgiven, that gets canceled, that gets dealt with. And then the immediate move to go out and find a smaller debt and shake the guy down and say, you've got to pay up. But for Jesus and life in the kingdom to step into the land of forgiveness, to come to God and seek his generous forgiveness, regarding an outlandish debt that we could never pay is to also then step into the land of forgiveness and offer the lesser version to others around us. It's really easy to see ourselves in the story. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for lavishing your mercy and grace and compassion on me for all the sin that I've done wrong. And then the next move is to find the person who has wronged us and to say, pay up, pay up. You owe me. Jesus is reminding us that to live in the land of forgiveness is to expect it to flow out of our lives because you can't in the long run do both. God, forgive me. Screw you. Right? Like that's not, that's, not, that's not the way this works. That's not the invitation of Jesus. God, I need you. Get out of here. God, thank you. I'm going to hold the grudge. I'm going to live in bitterness. I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to hold you over the flames until it hurts. I'm going to make you pay. These are not separate realms. These are not separate issues. It is one massive hole that God, like a W-H-O-L-E, one hole that Jesus invites us to experience his transforming work in. Scholar N.T. Wright says, forgiveness is richer and higher and harder and more shocking than we usually think. And Jesus' message offers the genuine article and insists that we should accept no man-made substitutes. And when I hear that story, I'm like, yeah, that kind of forgiveness where I would actually be willing to forgive anyone for anything. It's higher, harder than what I often settle for. Which then brings up one last question, and we'll end today. If that's what forgiveness is, and that's what forgiveness isn't, and God invites us to reconnect these worlds together of our relationship with him and our relationships with others. Like, how do I then step into that more? I'm going to start in two parts. First, with God. 
than with others. How does a person access the forgiveness of God? Can I tell you, there's just some really good news. If you take Jesus at his word, here's how. Humbly ask. Like, it's not complicated. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. Humbly ask. It require, here's what's hard about it. It requires us to admit our need for help. It requires us to admit that we were wrong. It requires us to admit that we don't have the solutions within ourselves. That we need, we need God. We need his help. We need his favor. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need him to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves. You know what kills the forgiveness thing with us and God? It's those who don't think they need it. Jesus comes back to that time and again in the Gospels. It's the Pharisees. The thing that kills forgiveness with God is self-righteousness. Like, I'm good. I don't need you. I'm good. Jesus said he came for those who were sick. And the physician came for those who are willing to admit that they were sick and needing help. Do you need forgiveness in your life? Have you wronged God? Have you, in thought, word, deed, in omission and commission, have you not lived up to the standard of a holy God? Which is everybody in the room. Humbly ask. Father, forgive us. Humbly ask. It's the way the kingdom works. And don't you know, from the scriptures, we come to see that God is eager to forgive. God is eager to forgive us. He is looking and ready and waiting for anyone who even today would say, Father, forgive me. I confess my sin. That's what confession is. Confession is simply to say the same thing, to say to God that which he already knows. Confession is this invitation into the land of forgiveness. And by the way, it's something that we get to do over and over and over and over again. Pastor Tyler Statton points out, uh, I think I've been guilty of this in my own life, that, that many of us have imagined spiritual maturity to be that we arrive at a place where we don't have to confess anymore. Like, if you're really mature, you just stop sinning and you, you don't need to confess anymore. As we grow and mature, no need for the confession forgiveness thing. But then he says, true maturity, though, is the opposite. It's not an ascension. It's actually an archaeological dig as we discover layer after layer of what was in us all along. Spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. A maturing community is a confessing community, not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. We aren't a community without sin. And I lead the way. 
And to mature is not to somehow say, well, no need for God anymore, no need to confess. It's actually, the more I mature, the more I discover the stuff in me that I didn't even know was there. There's a depth of sin in my life that's like an archaeological dig, and the Spirit is kind to me to reveal this place and that place, and as I grow, I see more of my need, and the cross gets bigger and bigger, and God gets bigger and bigger, and His mercy and grace is is tremendous, and my maturity brings me back to confessing more often, because I'm discovering there's more of me that's broken than I even feared, and His love for me is more great than I could ever imagine. But I humbly ask, and I do it again and again. Oh, may we be a mature community that confesses our sin often. Humbly ask and humbly receive. May we be a church without secrets, bringing into the light more and more of that which is already there. And then, as we have received forgiveness from God, may we continue to be carried into a place where we can forgive other people too. And again, I, <laughs> I know enough of our stories to know enough of the pain that's here, the wounds, the hurts, the wrongs, some of the stuff that goes back decades deep into our stories. But part of God's new creation work in us is to make us forgivers like he is. I'm just going to add a few more words about this forgiveness of other people, and then we'll close today. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Well, I don't feel like forgiving. Me either. (laughs) And if you wait to, like, oh man, okay, now, now I feel like forgiving. You're going to be waiting a long time. It's not just like, hmm, do I feel like forgiving today? Nah, I'll wait. Maybe when I feel like it, I'll get around to it. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice that's grounded in the greater invitation of what the kingdom is. It's a choice that is grounded in the greater reality of a God who has chosen to forgive the massive debt to humanity. And then in that, the choice is to entrust that person, that wrong, that wound, that pain, to entrust that into God's hands and not your own. And I'm going to choose to do that today. I'm probably going to choose to do that again tomorrow. And as many times as needed. Also, it's a process. Not a one-time event. It is a one-time event. That begins a process. <laughs> I've heard one author say that we should forgive slowly in the sense that we would actually know what we're forgiving. And some of us are, um, we forgive too quickly in the sense that we don't even know what we're saying. Sometimes we say, I forgive you, meaning I just want you to leave me alone. I want to create a false peace. So engage with it, and then forgive. And you'll probably find yourself with some of the deeper ones needing to forgive for a while, and again, and again. And it's this process of forgiveness 
that maybe you'll discover in six months or a year you're in a different spot than you were a year ago. It's also remembrance, not a forgetting. Again, it's not just forgive and forget. And I love the phrase one writer talks about sacred remembrance. Sacred remembrance. It's not just like, forget about that. No, how how do we have sacred remembrance of wrongs that are done toward us? Something that you see in the scriptures. It's not a remembering to stir up or to rehash bitterness, but a sacred remembrance of understanding even the wrong that was done and the way in which God has met you in that place to deal with it. It's what the Israelites did with their time in Egypt. They were oppressed as slaves in Egypt, and yet they found a way to talk about Egypt where they named their slavery, they named their oppression, but they also discovered God's good deliverance in the midst of that, and they were able to talk about that as a sacred remembrance of God's work to deliver them. And then lastly, that forgiveness is a gift, not a chore. Oh, dang, now I've got to go forgive some people. And here's just something from Lewis Smead. He says, recall the pain of being wronged, the hurt of being stung, cheated, demeaned. Doesn't the memory of it fuel the fire, reheat the pain again? You are locked into a torture chamber of your making. Time should have left your pain behind, but you kept it alive to let it flay you over and over. The only way to heal that pain that will not heal itself is to forgive the person who hurt you. Forgiving stops the reruns of the pain over and over and over and over. And he goes on to say, to forgive is to put down your 50-pound pack after a 10-mile climb up a mountain. To forgive is to fall into a chair after a 15-mile marathon. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to reach back into your hurting past and recreate it in your memory so that you can begin again. To forgive is to dance to the beat of God's forgiving heart. It is to ride the crest of love's strongest wave. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So maybe this morning, is there any way that the Holy Spirit of God may be bringing up again a place where forgiveness is needed? Is there a way that the Spirit of God is inviting you deeper into the land of forgiveness? And maybe it's something you need to name before God and receive his forgiveness. I know some of us have a hard time receiving God's forgiveness. Maybe it's the name, the face, the person, the wrong, that thing that just kind of, (laughs) you say their name and it gets you going on the inside. It reheats. It restirs. Maybe there's a need to ask God to forgive us for not wanting to forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm just going to give us 30 seconds to be still and ask God, God, is there anyone you need us to forgive? Is there anyone you invite us to forgive? Is there any place where there's more work that's needed to be done? Come, Holy Spirit. 
and show us the places where you invite us to be more like you. Invite us to understand the freedom that you've brought for us to experience. Show us where you want forgiveness to flow. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.